0: I'll dig right into it because I know it's cozy. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. Very familiar passage. I watched the Peanuts Christmas special this week. Did anybody else do it? Yes. Okay, six of you did. It's, a, it's become a tradition in our house. There's so many traditions. Um, the way it came up in our house was we have a strict bedtime of 8 o'clock. Okay, strict. 8 o'clock. Quiet time starts at 7. That means that Chase can't be wild and Kendra can't be wild after seven o'clock. <laughs> you laughed. There are three party people in my house. Kendra, Chase, and Isaiah. And then there's what I like to call the voice of reason and that's me. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, y'all can sing after dinner, you can do all that, but at seven o'clock, we start to trim it down. Because it takes about an hour to get them, uh, you know, to get Chase to a point where he can go to sleep. So seven o'clock is quiet time, eight o'clock is bedtime. That gets derailed sometimes. I realize my wife now has the power of being able to override that spontaneously. Mm-hmm. Like when she's flipping through, it's seven fifteen, and she's flip, flipping through the channels, and she sees that it's it's time for the Charlie Brown Christmas special. She's like, "Oh, Chase, the Christmas special's on tonight. Let's watch it." And I noticed it's on at eight o'clock. <laughs> so immediately, as soon as she announces that, quiet time is gone because now you know now the Vince Guaraldi trio is playing throughout the living room, and so. Yes, we watched Charlie Brown Christmas special. Fortunately, I was able to stop it at 8:35 before the second one started, and so we rather than having to go till nine, we got to 8:35. But we did watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special. I did get to watch Linus quote our scripture day, which we won't show on video this week because I'm told that it might be showing up next week. If I, okay, so so, just imagine that I'm Linus. I've got the hair for it. So actually, you guys more than me. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter two. We're in the series called Vintage Christmas. What we're doing is we're going back through a story that for most of us is very, very, very familiar. But we're slowing down and taking a couple of the details of the story, putting them under the microscope and zooming in and saying, maybe if I just slow down a little bit and look a little more closely at a couple of these details that maybe seem really familiar to me, maybe something different will pop out this time and I'll see it differently. And I will tell you, I've been a pastor for 19 years. 10 years as a youth pastor, and then this happened and I retired. So then, uh, you know, four years as an executive pastor, five years as your pastor here at Echo. I went back through my, and I keep an archive of all my sermons digitally, and I went back in. I preached on the manger six times. And it's like, how many more things can you pull out of the manger story? I mean, there's really, it's not written about through all the Bible. And I thought, man, I, I pretty much pulled out everything I can. But I have to tell you honestly, the Holy Spirit dealt with me about part of the story this time that I had never seen before. And um, I want to give that part to you today because it is so powerfully... It's convicted me. It's challenged me. I will, almost, I will tell you, it has sharpened the purpose of my whole life. Um, over these last two weeks, I've been looking at this. So I, I want to bring that out to you this morning. Let's, I, I was going to say, let's read together. That might not work. Uh, I'll read out loud to you. Luke chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. And she brought forth, brought forth her firstborn son wrapped them in swaddling cloths, laid them in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. We'll talk about them next week. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. We rolled we this out last week. There's three parts to the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. So last week we tackled the first two parts. We talked about what? we were trying to figure out, why did Jesus come as a baby? He could have come in any different way, as a superhero, as a powerful king, as a military leader. Why a baby? We talked about that last week. Why swaddling cloths? Why is that detail even kept in the story? We talked about that last week. This week, we're going to look at the manger. And here's the big idea. The big idea is that the manger shows us how low Jesus truly stooped to become part of the human race. The manger, I believe, there's a lot of different reasons why. The manger, this And we'll talk about this in a second. It's not like the manger you see in the nativity scene you break out and put up at your house, probably. It's not like the manger scene you see represented in a lot of artwork. Um, Why do we have that detail in the story? Why did Luke, when he was interviewing eyewitnesses, people who were there in the first hand, he's writing all this down? Why did they remember that part of the story? Why did God see for that to be kept in Luke for us to know today? Is it just so that we can integrate it as a symbol into Christmas, or is there something deeper? I want to look at it. I believe one of the things that shows us is how far Jesus stooped, how much rank he really gave up to come down to earth. And there's a there's a, there's a a companion verse that I have to share with this from Philippians chapter two, that Paul kind of fills in some of the blanks for us. And um, let me read it to you, Philippians 2, 7. There's interesting terminology here. We are going to come back to this passage at some point in 2018, because I want to teach about privilege and... Uh, I want to teach some more things about that but it's interesting there's some interesting words in here that you even hear in the news right now if you if you listen closely here's what paul says to philippians 2 you must have the same attitude that christ jesus has when he says you who's he talking to Tristan says me he's talking to yeah he's talking to the christian leaders so if you're a christian and you lead he's talking to you he says you must have the same attitude jesus has had though he was god He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Here it says, Jesus had privilege. And he had a choice. He had a choice to hold on to his privilege and stay in heaven. Or he could give up his privileges and empty himself. He could relinquish the privilege that he had, the good little life that he had. He had a perfect life. To come to earth, and not just to come to earth, but to come to earth as a baby, not just as a baby, but as a poor baby, a forgotten baby, wrapped in scraps of linen, placed in a very dangerous, very dirty feeding trough, because nowhere else in the world would make room for him. And he was the owner, the contractor, the builder, the architect of it all. And they wouldn't even give him a place to stay in his own house in his own creation. He says, instead, he gave it up. He took the humble position of a slave. And he was born as a human being. So what, God, what is God trying to show us about Jesus by including this detail in, in of, about his first bed, his first crib in the narrative of his birth? I'll show you two things. I'll give them both to you at once. His humility and his future. There's more than this. There's more than this. But I want to give you the very uh, highly concentrated, condensed explanation of these two things. I think God's trying to show you two things about Jesus here. How humble he was. But he's also trying to show us something about his future. So what, what do I mean by his humility? Jesus leaves. I don't even know if you could use the word wealth to describe what he has. Right? It's all his. He leaves that voluntarily. And he is born into not even a close approximation. of He's born into extreme poverty. And facing the indifference of mankind. Here's the struggle we have with this story. One problem we have when we talk about manger is that for most of us we didn't grow up with a manger laying around the house. I don't know if any of you have brought a newborn baby in the world and you were planning the nursery. Did you think about putting a manger in there? Sometimes your kids might be misbehaving, you might like to construct one. So growing up, like when I, I had the church version of what a manger was, which was this cool little wooden box, right, that we that we kept in one of the storage rooms. And every year when the kids did their Christmas show, we'd bring out the nice wood box and it was sanded really nice and it was stained really beautifully. And we'd put a little hay in there but then we'd want to put like a real baby in there and we wouldn't put anybody's real baby on hay. So then we'd like line it with blankets and all kinds of other things to make it soft and comfy and we'd shine spotlights on it. You know, and the light would come up and the baby, we'd probably give them a lot of like baby ibuprofen right before they do it you know, so they're not like screaming. And, you know, and the, and the choir sings lights come up and it's so reverent and it glows and it's holy and it's memorable and it's nothing like a manger it's nothing like a manger i had the privilege of traveling to israel a couple years ago james is going to be going next year and on the side i would love to lead an echo trip to israel um, at some point not i mean not like take you around israel myself like hire a guide to take us around but um it was a it was a major investment but it is absolutely um, you come home with such a better Bible. It's an amazing experience. Uh, we're walking around one day, and our guide says, you know, we're walking through some of uh, these ruins that they're excavating. Um, it was actually over near, it was over near, um, trying to get my bearings now. Was it? it was in the Valley of Armageddon, actually, which is kind of creepy. But we're in the Valley of Armageddon, and we're going through this uh, thing where archaeologists are working, and they're doing a dig. And there's this, there's like this large stone slab with serpa with rocks that they're dusting off. And he says, now, he said, I want to show you what this is. And we're just looking like this large stone slab, like a part of a countertop, like out of, your, you know, out of your kitchen, but like just lined with rocks around the outside. That's a manger, he says. And I mean, this guy is full-blooded Jew, not a messianic Jew, believes that Jesus existed, but not that he was Messiah. And he says to us, he says, this would have been the type of a manger that the Christ was laid into, that Jesus was laid in. He said, because in that part of Bethlehem where Jesus was born, they would not have had the wood or the trees or to be able to source the type of manger. You and I think he would have literally be put in this and it's right next to a cave. And really what a manger was kind of back in the day in that part of town was it was it was a trough where they would feed animals. It was stone surrounded by stone right outside of a cave. So, Jesus, you have to get the imagery here. and I don't want to get too far to the next point. He agrees to come to Earth and not be placed in a nice warm home. Not be put pla- he is placed on a slab of cold stone that is not sanitized. Okay? Some of us don't even you know, like when we had our babies, like we did not let other human beings around them for a while. And even now, I'm careful about what human beings I, you know, like people will do weird things when you have to why would you think to go up to someone's kids and put your finger in their mouth? But some people that's just normal. Christian, have people tried to do this with Theo yet? <laughs> Maybe, once Maybe once or twice. You don't want guilty parties in the room. Okay, so you know what I'm saying. I understand. I understand. It's okay. It's okay. They won't call you out. Um, you understand. Do you see how the king of the universe, that John chapter 1 says he was the word, and the word was with God in the beginning? Jesus was present when creation was formed. He was present and active. And he goes from being the king of the universe to being a little fetus, a little baby inside someone's womb for nine months. And then he comes in the world and he's placed in a trough. And, you know, we want to say, well, you know, the cows and everything, they were just lowing. They're just watching, whatever that means. You know what they're doing? They're going to eat. You're having to keep an eye on your baby that your baby doesn't get bit by an animal. This is what's going on here. And when I look at Christmas, I think the White Marsh Avenue. I think Christmas lights. I think people ice skating. You know I think? I think warm. I think cozy. I think joy. I think jingle bells. I think hot chocolate. I think, and I think all these wonderful things that Christmas is to us. And none of those things were in that story. You understand that the manger scene was not a scene of warmth. It was not a scene of safety. It was not a scene where it was cozy. It was sad. It was a scene of rejection. It was a scene of isolation. It was a scene of poverty. It was a scene of peril, of danger. It was not warm. It was cold. There was no Jack Frost nipping at their nose. I mean, Jack Frost was having at them. This is what's going on here. What is God trying to show us? Showing us Jesus' humility. That night, if you walked by, nothing would have seemed supernatural at all about the manger. There, That's not where the choir of angels was singing. That's not where the spotlight was. That's not where the glitter was. What you would have seen, one theologian said, what you would have seen is just a young, poor couple down on their luck who had no place else to put their baby but to share it with a doggy dish, so to speak. And yet your savior and my savior said, God, I'll take that on. I want to change history. I want to bring peace to the world. Manger, you got it. A cross, bring it on. Jesus said, I'll take that assignment. And I expect to be mistreated. And I expect to suffer. And I expect that I'm not going to live the nice little life that everybody else is going to live. But that's okay because that's the price I'm willing to pay to do something significant for the kingdom. And there he was laid. You see, majors aren't these supernatural, shiny, holy places. They're lonely, dirty, smelly places made for animals. Jesus wasn't placed in the nursery. He was placed, with, he was placed out back in the barn with the rest of the animals. Why? Why a manger? There's a bunch of different reasons. I'll just suggest one that the Bible tells us. Actually, we get it right in the Bible. And placed him in a manger because there was what? Why was Jesus placed in a manger? Well, it's right there for you. Because there was no room in the inn. Literally, there was no room anywhere else for Jesus then. Is there any more room for Jesus today than there was then? They put him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. There was no room with the kings in the palace. There was no rooms in the schools and universities. There was no room at the temple. There was no room in the synagogue. There was no room with the priests and the religious people. There was no room with the common working people. There was no room for Jesus anywhere. And it's a wake-up call to us to say in my life and in your life, have you made any more room for Jesus today than there was back then? Is there room for Jesus in today's government, among today's world leaders, among today's politicians? I know there is at least a a long one that I know. One of the coolest experiences of my life was when Christian announced that he was going to be running for state senate. And he said, Pastor, I want you to come and be part of it. And you know, pastors in politics, we have to be very careful, right? And I said, well, Christian, what exactly do you want me to do? He's like, no, I want you to come and pray and I want you to preach. I said, wait, hold on. You certainly certainly don't mean that. (laughs) Pastors don't come and preach at political events. That usually doesn't get mixed together. He says, no. He said, uh, I want God to be at the front and center of what I'm doing. And he said, I remember what you talked about, Nehemiah and how he had a plan and the the whole how you build something. That really inspired me to go where I'm at. I want you to just come and I want you to share that. I would have never had an opportunity to stand in front of a group of, I mean, the governor's there and other people. He wasn't listening. He was signing autographs or something. But I mean, (laughs) you, you understand Jesus would love to take up those kinds of invitations. The reason that you might not see Jesus as involved in some of these things as you'd like to is only because he's not being invited there. You invite Jesus along, he'll go along. Christian invited Christ to be at the very inception of his of his running for senate. And uh, I remember praying with Christian, you know, before the last election and he said, "I'm not praying to win, I'm praying that God's will be done." And that's a prayer God can answer. Cuz he's like, "I'm probably praying my my opponent's probably praying. Today Lions fans are praying and Ravens fans are praying. You know, someone's going to be disappointed." But at the end of the day, I am thankful that God is raising up people like Christian and others to serve in government. And there's a lot of government workers in here. There's a lot of people that God is raising up who are true Christians, who made a commitment to follow Jesus with all their hearts and are willing to put those gifts to service. Schools and universities, you know, I want to know that there's still a place for Jesus in schools and universities. We wrestled with that with, with Chase, and I know we've probably offended half of you because we put him in public school. But at the end of the day, I'm like, look, it's a decision that we made as parents because I want my son to understand how to defend his faith. And I want my son to be a light in a dark place. That's a choice that we made. And uh, you know, I know every day when I send my son to school, I'm sending Christ to school because my son loves Jesus with all his heart. My son makes room for Jesus. My son got out of the car and buckled the seatbelt today because he forgot his Bible. We were late because my son went inside to get his Bible. He wanted to bring his Bible to church so I could get points and get stickers and get stuff from the store, but he, we're working on it. <laughs> I ask the question a lot of times of friends that I walk with in ministry, is there still room with, there wasn't room with Jesus? You'd think, man, wouldn't one of these messianic priests that knew the prophets, wouldn't they have made room for Mary and Joseph to have Jesus? And like, wouldn't one of them, like, done the right thing? And they didn't. And I'm wondering, like, you know, today I even get so sunk sometimes, it's not the it's not the rule it's more the exception when i'm around some of my colleagues in ministry and i'm like we talk about all kinds of things but why can't we talk about the lord and what he's doing i remember recently i was traveling with a bunch of people from other churches and i spoke with someone who i've known for 20 years um kind of like a mentor pastor to me and i and i had a moment to talk to him and i just said hey man what are you reading right now are you reading anything good that would really be inspiring to me in my journey he said well probably what i'm reading you wouldn't want to read anyway. I was like, Oh no, 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 try me. I was like, I, I know I'm not as smart as you, but I think you tell I'm thinking he's, he's Well, I'm reading a lot of Stephen King. Oh <laughs> and I'm like, Really? I thought he was joking. It's like, oh no, really. He's like, he's like, I don't know if it'd be something that you want to read. And I'm like, this is a guy I've looked up to for twenty years. Okay, it's not Pastor George, it's not somebody from Trinity He said, Don't no, say Pastor George did not curl up with a cup of cocoa and read Stephen King. <laughs> somebody is somebody from somebody from Virginia. And and I hate, I'm not trying to be holier than now, I'm not trying to clown people that read fiction books and this and that and the other thing. But you know, there was part of me that was just disappointed and I'm like, I don't want people to look in my life and look behind the curtain and be like, who is Pastor Phil really? And it's like, I want you to see Christ. I want you to see that he's my priority. I want you to see that from the moment that I get up till I go to bed, any anytime that my mind drifts off, it's going to the Lord. I have to work hard to make space for Christ because there's other kinds of things that are always trying to move into that space. And I think I'll move on from this point, but I think you get the idea. Let's not repeat that scenario again. Jesus came into a world where there is no room for Him. My response to Christ is to say, you don't need, you, "I don't only want to give you the my heart's pretty much the manger. It's this dirty, foul place, but if you lay there, it becomes holy. There is nothing holy about that trough until they put Jesus in it. You understand what I'm saying? My heart is like that. My heart is the manger. There's nothing holy about it. You put Jesus in there, though, and not because my heart is all kind of, all different. I mean, you put Jesus in our heart, and that's why the Bible says now God Jesus us that we're holy, not because of who we are and how broken we are, because of who Christ is. Second point, his future. We see a little bit of his future in this. This is the part that messed me up this time. There's not really a whole lot to say, but it just, it seemed very appropriate to me at this season in my life If life is a university, this is the semester I'm in. And it's probably more than a 16-semester story. It's a long, long, long story. But we see that already at his birth, Jesus is bearing a cross only a baby could bear to be wrapped in linens and placed in a cave. Do you see, I don't want to say the irony, Jesus comes into the world, and what's he wrapped in? Linens. Where is he placed? In a cave, on a piece of stone. How did Jesus leave the world the first time? wrapped in linens placed in a cave on a stone I've been in the garden tomb there's two schools of thought of where Jesus was born when people say it's the tomb of the Holy Sepulcher one say the garden tomb there's no body in either place uh, I've been to both places I'm a garden tomb guy uh, because of the context clues there but I wouldn't fight anyone to death I walked into the tomb and literally the, I walked into it two days after I'd seen this manger and literally it was I don't want to say spooky it just shocked me the dimensions of the, of the manger, and it wasn't the manger. I have video of, I'll try and bring it two weeks from now. I have video of a time that I went and actually I touched the spot where they believed that Jesus was born. Well, how accurate was it? Well, we know by the second century already they had been protecting it. So it's like we're pretty sure it's within a few feet of where that spot was. But when I saw this manger that I told you about the Valley of Armageddon, its dimensions were almost exactly the same as this hewn out part of the cave where they believed Jesus' body was laid to rest. So he comes into the world wrapped in linens isolated, alone laid in the cave. When he's crucified on the cross they take him down they wrap him in linens they lay him in a cave. There's a hint of Jesus' future already here in the manger. Jesus came to the world for one reason and one reason only you know what that was. Don't be nervous I'm not trying to trick you. I heard it. He came to the world to die. <clears throat> that's not meaning to be morbid, but you understand, to a lot of us, that's like a shock and a surprise and a depressing thought. Jesus knew that before he came here. <clears throat> he knew his assignment. And he said, I'm in. I'm in for that quest. I am in for that adventure. It's like God the Father goes to his son and says, I have a quest for you. I need you to make peace between me and in our creation. I need you to go to earth. I need you to go to earth in this particular form. You're going to be a babe. You're going to grow up poor. You're going to be betrayed by people you pour your life out for. You're going to be lonely. You're going to be crucified. You're going to die alone. You're going to be buried. You're going to raise. He's rolling out the whole plan to Jesus. And it's not a pretty story. And Jesus obeys God. He doesn't consider his privilege something to hold on to. What we see in the manger is Jesus relinquishing all of his advantages and stooping not only to a human level, but to, in that time, to the lowest of the lowest of the lowest parts of the way that humans would be viewed. He did it willingly. That's what Philippians 2.7 means when it says he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Nothing about Jesus appeared supernatural. There were no halos, Okay? There was no spotlight, no angels, no choirs. If you had been there, if you had no other information, you would have concluded, like I said earlier, this was just a poor, young couple down on their love. Nothing about their outward circumstances pointing to God. The first Christmas was not about safety. It was not about coziness. It was not about security. It was the exact opposite. It was about danger. It was about peril. It was about discomfort. It was about isolation. If Jesus was really willing to relinquish his safety, if he was really willing to relinquish his coziness of heaven and all of the security of heaven in order to enter danger and peril, then the manger means the manger means forfeiting privilege to take on peril for the sake of a God quest. That's what it means to us. It means to us, Jesus was willing to give up his nice, cushy life to take on uncertainty and unknowns and messiness and disaster. Not just for any old reason. Not just because it was a part of life. But he took it on voluntarily because it accompanied the quest to do something great for God. Here's what I'm trying to get at. Here's where I'm going to close. A Christian who was on fire with the spirit of Christmas says this, the last thing I want is a nice, cushy little nerf life. Give me something great to do, God, and I will do it. I'll give up everything to do it. Look at what Jesus did for me. Look at how far he stooped. I want to make a difference, and I want to change the world, and I expect to give things up in order to do that. And I wonder if that's ever been a cry of your heart. Have you ever had a moment in your life, and I feel like here's the image I'm getting right now as I'm saying this God's giving me a little bit of a vision. I have to close my eyes to see it well. I'm seeing embers, coals of a fire. They're not burning, but they're orange. And as I'm about to say this, I feel like there's gonna be like, you know, if you ever had the experience where you blow on coals of a fire and they start picking up flame, I feel like that might be happening in somebody's heart as I say what I'm about to say. Have you, has God ever caught you up in a daydream or in your imagination about what he might like to do through you if you were fully surrendered to him and willing to pay the price? Have you ever had this moment of inspiration where you felt like, I don't even know what this is leading towards. But I know God's talking to me right now about my life, about what really matters, about what impact I can have in the world. And it starts to excite you. And you start to recognize, but the cost is all my priorities are going to have to be reordered. The way that I pray, the way that I study, the way that I love people, and it starts to mount up, how will people accept me? And and it goes down, but I believe in a lot of our hearts there's still that ember, the ember of the adventure of Christ that says this, I understand I want to be part of doing something great for God. And I also am well aware that that pathway is not one of cushy, and it's not one of cozy all the time, and it's not one of warm all the time. It means investing in people's lives that are in complete chaos and disarray. It means... Being parachuted into situations that you don't want to get out of that are never gonna pay you back. It means showing kindness and mercy to people who may not even feel like you may not even feel like they deserve it. And there may, it means it means forfeiting, getting credit for things that you do and taking blame for things that you never did. It means changing the way that you view relationships, finances. It means going the extra one, two, three, four, ten miles. It means certain degrees of suffering and discomfort and unknowns and danger and peril. But there's part of you that says, bring it on. Because look what Jesus did. Jesus said, I'll give up everything I have here in heaven. And I will go and I will take on danger and uncertainty and peril and discomfort. And I will do it because I want to be on the front lines. And I know those things go with it. You know what Christmas does for me too? It buries self-pity for me. Because here's what I hear. Well, I'm just suffering for the Lord today. Got up and the tires were flat. Devil's coming after me because I tired last week. Now I've got a runny nose. Got charged extra interest on my credit card because I forgot to pay it because the devil ruined my memory. And I walk around with a lot of Christians who are paying a price and they like, we compare each other's boo-boos, right? Well, you think you've got it bad, you've suffered from the Lord, let me tell you my story. 70 long years, you're 35, I know, i suffered a lot. You know. <laughs> Can I tell you that has no place in following Christ? Because there is a difference. There is trouble that life has for everybody whether you know Jesus or not. You can't escape it. If you know Jesus, you're going to have problems. If you don't know Jesus... You're going to have problems. Who do you want to have your problems with? You want to face them on your own with Christ. Okay? Life just has trouble. Then there's another kind of trouble. That's trouble you bring on yourself by your choices. And some of those things are called consequences. You make bad decisions. And guess what? There's bad consequences. And usually what happens for people who have any type of God consciousness, they go make a bad decision, and when the consequence comes, they run to Jesus asking him to to give them a get-out-of-jail-free from their consequences. That's not how it works either. Consequence is called discipline. There's consequences for a reason. They're to be that unpleasant that they taste so bad in our mouth, we never do them again. That wasn't in your notes. That's just extra bonus for free. But here's what I'm saying. There's another type of trouble. And difficulty. That's one that says, I want to get to that mountaintop, and to get there, I'm going to have to go through all this trouble and difficulty. I can go down this path and walk around the mountain and take pictures and never get there, but this path is nice and level and smooth, or I can go that way. And that way is going to be difficult. There's going to be sweat and maybe some turned ankles and some frustration and some difficulty. But it's also going to be rewarded by these moments where I see that I really am making a difference, where I really am seeing that my life is mattering about something that's eternal. And what I see at the manger, when I see the manger representing me now, is a willingness where Jesus said, I will take on all of the yuck and all of the discomfort and all the uncertainty because God is calling me to this quest. And friend, I don't know what it is that God's speaking into your heart. I don't know what your future is in Christ. I would just say this. I hope you can come to a place where you say, God, give me some great thing to do for you. Give me some great assignment." and I will give up everything. I will stoop down from whatever privilege I've been given in life if you'll show me that this is the pathway I can go to do something like that. This is the semester of my life that I'm in. I don't know if it's the semester of your life that you're in or not, but I believe some of you when you're hearing that, you're saying like, yeah, and it might mean something more specific to you. God is breathing on those embers and they're beginning to flow into flame again. God's speaking to you about these things. It may not be about leaving something vocationally, It may just be an overarching theme of your life that you just say, I know that there's things that God's put in my heart to do, but up to this point, I've been unwilling to make myself uncomfortable enough to go after it. Can I encourage you to look at the manger today? Can I encourage you to look at that again through this lens of Jesus knowing full well what he was getting himself into you? For your sake, he said, I'll do it. For your sake, he said, I'll take it on. Put me on the front lines. I hope that's what you can say. If not, if you can't say that, I don't know if you're really truly hearing Christmas. What Christmas means to a Christian is not just to do something like Jesus' adventure. You actually enter his adventure, and now you're in the same story with Christ. So I'll just read what I wrote right here. What is your future in Christ? What does the manger show us? If you want to bring peace between people and God, or to bring peace between each other, you enter Jesus' adventure. You get involved in the lives of people who are in tremendous order, disorder and disarray. When you get involved with the lives of people who are in tremendous disorder and disarray, how many of you know you begin to suffer, don't you? Sometimes you go looking for it, but most of the time, these people come looking for you. They might be related to you. They might have even brought it up at Thanksgiving dinner. When you get involved with people's lives who are in disorder and disarray, you begin to suffer. It takes an emotional toll. You get frustrated. You get drained. It costs you money. You never get reimbursed for it. It just happens. It's the relinquishment of comfort and safety and security in exchange, here's the exchange, for the adventure of doing something meaningful for Christ. There's nothing comfortable about sitting elbow to elbow with your best friends and people you don't know yet, but now you know really well. (laughs) I know it's not comfortable and easy to sit up and tear down church every week, some of you for seven years almost. I know it's not comfortable to drop off your kids in a room with grand pianos, or in a high school hallway. A little more comfortable in a hotel, but you know, we're working on it, right? This is not an entirely comfortable journey, but can I remind you, it's worth it. It is absolutely worth it. That's the exchange. If you want to do something meaningful for Christ, you have to exchange some of your safety, some of your comfort, I mean, I talk to people all the time who are in ministry, and it's like, listen, they understand. You follow Jesus, your relationships are going to look different than if you didn't. You might have to wait longer to find that person to marry. You might have to go about it in a different way. If you, if you follow Jesus, your social life might look different than if you didn't. If you follow Jesus, your finances might be different. You might not be able to chase after wealth to the degree that you'd like to. There's all kinds of different things you can lay aside. But the truth of the matter is, this, the exchange is you get to be in part of the adventure that Jesus was part of at Christmas. And to me, that's now a new element the Major brings into my life. It means relinquishing safety, security, and all of the comforts for the adventure of following Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up front. I will slide over to the side here and not get burned by the candles. We don't have a prayer team. Well, we do have a prayer team, but the odds of you coming down front to be prayed for today are just slightly like done. <laughs> so here's what I'm going to do as the worship team comes back. Because I like when the Holy Spirit just allows us to be fluid and flexible. I'm going to ask you to do something great. I do not mean this to embarrass you at all. This is simply for a practical reason. In just a moment, you don't have to do it right now. If you would just like prayer this morning, what I would like to be able to do is just corporately as a group, we're going to pray for those of you who need in prayer. And the way we're going to do it is just invite people that are sitting near you in a moment. We're going to have you identify yourself simply in a simple way. We're going to invite people sitting near you who feel comfortable doing so. Just put a hand on your shoulder. And pray over you while I pray to you as a group. This is when we're going to just minister to each other this morning. You don't have to be specific about with us about what your need is today. Because the Lord knows that already. In a moment I'm going to pray and ask people an opportunity to give Jesus, uh, to meet Jesus the Lord their life. But right where you're seated right now, if you would just say, I need, I would welcome some prayer over my life today. Would you just indicate that by just lifting a hand? Don't be embarrassed. Just lift a hand. Okay. Thank you. Just keep it up for a second. Okay. Now look around you. If someone's got their hand up near you, would you be so kind? to just, If you feel comfortable just placing a hand on their shoulder, this is a point of contact. Make sure everybody has someone for with Dan here. Good. Hadassah. Thank you. I'll lead out as a group. Those of you around, you can pray silently. You can whisper a prayer. But We're going to believe that God is present in this moment right now. Let's fill this place with prayer right now. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. We can come to you. Because Jesus, you were willing to give up all your comfort and come to this earth, be placed in a manger, live a perfect, sinless life, being the example for us, being our our leader, our savior, our Lord. And now we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And as touching heaven, I speak life into those we're praying over today. I speak breakthrough. I speak peace, peace, peace in the name of Jesus. Peace where there is anxiety. Peace where there's insecurity. Peace where there's worry. Peace where there is financial turmoil. Peace where there are broken relationships. Peace where there are no relationships, where they desire to be relationships. Speak peace. That's the message of Christmas. Glory went up and peace came down. Peace that passes understanding. Healing. For joints and pain and agony. Lord, I speak peace. Peace into their life and healing in their life today. Father, for every individual that raised their hand today, I pray right now that you would just whisper into their heart that you've heard them. I hear you, son. I hear you, daughter. I've taken that need on my shoulders now. You just relax. Just relax in my arms today. I've got it. God's got this for you. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to give you a chance as I do every week, give you an opportunity. You shouldn't say chance; it's a tough word. Give you an opportunity to make the best decision ever to make Jesus, Lord, and Savior of your life. Simple as A, B, C. Admit that you've been living life your own way. Admit that you're a sinner. B. Be, believe that Jesus is everything that He said that He was. He's the sinless Son of God who came to Earth, took on the form of a human, lived a sinless life, died on the cross in our place, paid the penalty, was really dead did just fake it, wasn't in a coma, was truly dead and buried, was raised from the dead three days later, was alive today, and see, choose Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Admit, believe, choose. Are you ready? Let me lead you in that prayer. If you're ready to make that commitment to Jesus, say he's ready to receive you. He's ready for you to receive him. He's ready to come and be placed in the manger of your heart and change you forever. And it just goes simple like this, a simple prayer of confession you can make right now that says, Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner, I believe in you, that you're God's son, that you died on the cross in my place, that you were buried, that you rose from the dead and that you're alive today. I choose you to be my Lord and I choose you to be my savior. Thank you for forgiving me. And now I follow you. You're the leader. I'm your follower. Welcome into my life. In your name I pray. Amen. With every head up and every eye open, Do you remember? Maybe you don't. How many of you can actually remember when you prayed that prayer for the first time? I don't know I do. I remember exactly where I was. Do you remember how you felt? I remember how I felt. And listen, some of us, it happened when we were young and we don't, that's the best testimony. I love this testimony. I found Jesus when I was young and I've never turned from him. I wish that was my story. I would give anything to have that be my story. I just pray that God's glorified through the mess of the life that I made. But I remember, I remember how I felt. I felt, I felt like my heart was beating out of my chest, which wasn't normal for like an eight-year-old I felt clean. I just felt clean. And I felt alive. And I know how that feels. And I felt that today while we were worshiping. Just being close and hearing you all sing. And for most of you, that was a good thing. For others of you, it was all right. There's something special about today. There's something special about us being here. This is part of our story. This is part of what God's doing here in Perry Hall that people who are driving by and walking by can see through these windows a group of people who love Jesus. A family that is not full, a family that will always make room for new people. So I pray that maybe today God challenged you again about this adventure that he has in front of all of us. Maybe he's challenging you personally about something you need to reorder. A simple change or a repriority, reprioritization. I don't even know if that's a word but we'll roll with it. You know, a different way of ordering your life in order that you can be more accessible and available. Maybe something you need to relinquish and just move. It might even be a good thing. We just need to bump it down the priority list. So you can get after whatever the part of the adventure it is that God has for you. And if that flame is burning in your heart, let God breathe on that again this morning.